Where has the rum gone? Well, we probably drank it all. Can you blame us? The stuff is delicious. Today's episode is all about the best thing to come from sugar, rum. This promises to be an overproofed episode, so come in and have a drink. Welcome to Have a Drink, the show where you learn along with us about the glorious drink called beer. I'm Brittany Lee Walker. I'm Justin Frazier. And I'm Christopher Walker. Hey guys, uh, everybody's <laughs> sounding a little nasally, a little throat scratchy. Yeah. Look, I don't know what you're... <coughs> <coughs> Everyone I'm starts, fine. starts coughing. I'm fine. Everything's fine here. How are you? <laughs> So all three of us are sick for this episode. Hooray. Uh, Thanksgiving week was great. We all got uh, exposed to some horrible, horrible thing. Yeah, you say great. I know you mean it ironically, but like even I can't even pretend that. Like I had to be locked up in an apartment. <laughs> yeah. But, you we, know. We couldn't bring you vital supplies until we were on our way back through, though. Oh, I got I got many vital supplies. I was very appreciative of them. <laughs> I hope everybody listening enjoyed their Thanksgiving. Yes, and, yes. Uh, hope you all had something very good to drink with dinner. <laughs> so we had we had an otherwise good Thanksgiving. I mean, we only had uh, one family member out of both of our families bring up politics. <laughs> so, uh, and that, that... oh, was there was there some large <laughs> deal election that happened since the last time we recorded? I mean, nothing too important or anything. Um, but yeah, it, it could have been much worse. So I'm I'm counting that that as a blessing that it only it was only the one person. We're stamping win on this one and moving on. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we did get to try some good beer, though. Oh. What uh, you guys? What you guys get a hold of? So we finally got to try the Shoko Vesa, which I'm gonna just oh. I'm gonna t- decide to try try pronouncing that in like four different ways. No, we looked up, I don't know how many videos from Stone from the past few years, and they pointedly never say it. Yeah. Because we're like, how exactly do you say this? And we're like, oh, well, let's look up some videos on it from Stone, and they have to say it. No, they pointedly never say it in any of these videos. We're like, what the F? Uh, I did actually happen to find some of that. I, uh, I went to the store this week to buy to buy rum for today's episode. And I was like, ah, oh, that's all I'm going to need. I'm not going to need to get, grab anything else. Just walk out by the checkout line. Oh, let's kind of look and see if they've got anything neat in, but I'm not going to buy any beer. Shoko Vesa. <laughs> all right, screw it. We're making it rain. Come over here. 
Yeah, and to buy a six pack of it, you do have to make it rain because it's oh like God. seventeen bucks for a sixer of it. Oh, and but it's so good. It, oh. it it's very it's like one of the more complex beers I think we've had in a while. Yeah, there's a lot going on and everything. It's just I've talked on here before about beers that uh, oversell on all the adjuncts and things in it, and it all just kind of muddles together. Nothing really mixes well, and it just becomes a mess. This thing is like a time-released uh, capsule of flavor. It's all it's like. perfect. All the yeah. flavors individually stand out and mesh well together at the same time. It is so amazing. Oh, Because yeah. like, I remember drinking this thing going, oh, 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 that's so nice and chocolatey. It's, you know, crisp, refreshing. You get down near the end, though, and you're like, no. Oh, spice. <laughs> spice, cinnamon, pepper. Oh, Yeah, you get the heat from the peppers, and then on the back end, you get cinnamon. And it was wonderful. Um, yeah, it, it really is a, a, a beer version of a Mexican hot chocolate. I am fine with it. I've never had a Mexican hot chocolate. I can't imagine it being better than this beer. <laughs> well, now, you, uh, now it's at least worth trying to you. So, uh, Yeah, anything else uh, interesting happen? Um, uh, there, there may have been uh, an incident... Uh, of Black Friday shopping, right? I think there were a couple incidents, but <laughs> uh, before we get into the shopping, this was after the shopping, uh, went did a little uh, opt-out, uh, even though I, I went... Well, technically it wasn't Black Friday shopping. You didn't go to a mall or anything, so... I went to a liquor store and stood in line, <laughs> but went to uh, opt-out with the REI spiel that they do because they don't open their stores on black friday and instead give all their employees the day off and encourage them to go outside and do something and it actually is really fun to just take black friday and take to the hills and mountains which is what i've been doing the past two years now with a couple friends and hiking uh, our section of the Ginny wiley trail which is actually a pretty rough trail <laughs> yeah i might try to go next time uh, provided you know, I'm not dying. <laughs> Ginny Ginny Wiley had some thighs on her. I can go ahead and tell you that. Well, you know, when people are running around trying to kill your baby, <laughs> God, like that is the most like memorable thing about that whole play. That uh, there's a play that happens all the time back home. The Legend of Ginny Wiley. They have to do it every summer. Yep. <laughs> at Ginny Wiley State Park, I feel like it's it's in the the charter of the of the park. And there's a there's a very brutal baby doll beating because they don't actually kill a baby, but yeah. You know, I've never actually been over there for when the theater does the uh, the yearly retelling. Yeah, now well, they do, you know they do a couple they do it a couple times a year, but uh, I didn't actually help with that production. I've helped at. Jenny Wiley's productions a time or two when someone injured themselves, but uh, yeah, that uh, that's a play that like for some reason everyone back home, if you can tell if someone is from Floyd County, if if you meet someone from Kentucky and you mention the legend of Jenny Wiley to them, they're from <laughs> Floyd County, they will immediately know what you're talking about. Oh yeah, because it's something that no one else outside of Floyd County gives a crap about. <laughs> Yep, pretty much. But Much like anyone else probably listening to this. Right yeah, they're now, all just but... going, oh my god, move on. So yeah, obviously uh, 
I tweeted out, me and Casey went out and stood in line to get our Bourbon County brand stouts from Goose Island because, as we like to always say, we're big hypocrites here. And we talk about, you know, shunning the companies that have been bought out by Big Beer. And uh, there, there we step right up and go, oh, Goose, give us give us your golden eggs. No, okay, I'm, I'm not recent... a hypocrite. I'm totally okay with them selling out as long as they keep making the same quality product. Right. We've discussed this point recently, like... If if Budweiser made a stout, we would all try it, and if it was good, we would say, "Hey, it, they make a good stout." Turns out, who knew? But uh, yes, uh, me and Casey went and ponied up for our two bottle limit, and went through the line a couple times. <laughs> I I asked. <clears throat> there were enough bottles around, and we were really close to the front of the line. So we got up there, and I was like, "So can we just like rotate to the back of the line?" And the guy's like, "I don't see why not." <laughs> So it's like, so, all right. I was at work. Uh, I guess it would have been Saturday, or maybe it was Friday. Friday or Saturday, someone asked me. So I saw some, uh, I saw my mother saw a bunch of people lined up at Liquor Barn on Black Friday, and she was wondering what kind of deals they were having down there. And she just kind of looks at me and goes, Do you know what it is? And I was like, <clears throat> And I was like, Oh. You can you can smell the alcoholic on me. Yeah, no. Let me tell you what it was. <laughs> oh no! Not not only were there. Uh, oh no, there, there was, were bigger alcoholics actually. Oh, yeah, there out. was a line for Bourbon County Stout. Yeah, but then there was another line branching off the other side of the store for bourbon, just straight bourbon. There were like eight hundred dollar bottles of bourbon going on sale that day. Not like reduced price, just they were going to be sold. <laughs> it it wasn't Pappy Day, was it? It was not Pappy Day. Pappy Day is okay. a lottery day. Uh, for those of you who don't know, the Pappy Van Winkle releases are super scarce and limited, and there's only a few bottles they hand out, and it's actually a lottery system. So you show up with your, you know, almost $1,000 hoping to buy a bottle of Pappy, and they hand out tickets, and then they draw however many bottles they have worth of tickets out, and they read the numbers, and if you're one of the lucky numbers read, you get to pay a ton of money for some Pappies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's with, like, super rare pappies. You can go to any slightly upscale liquor store and find, like, a 10-year pappy and, like, no problem. But no, this was $800 bottles of bourbon. Yeah, I think it was Willet. I can't remember what year it was on their Willet that was going for, like, 800 bucks. So have you guys tried to need the Bourbon County yet? No. Uh, Put a couple in the fridge, and the rest are obviously squirreled away for later consumption. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I think those are going to be ones that I we keep we play close to the chest. <laughs> All right, I was just curious because I know this is the first year that they're they're pasteurizing them. Right. Yes, Casey has some of the last year of unpasteurized that managed to not get infected, and that is going to be something me and him have discussed. Uh, I think uh, four to five years down the road, when you can really tell oh. the difference, and we're going to do a pasteurized versus unpasteurized to see exactly what happens during the aging. I mean, that's like five years. What kind of resilience? Like, I can't wait that long. Give it to me now. That's you're, how I feel. You're going to have to wait. I could be dead by then. <laughs> you won't be dead, but yeah, um, I scored five bottles of the base, Bourbon County, and uh, they only had one variant, and it was not the coffee. I wanted the coffee so bad. It was the barley wine, though, so... Oh. Oh, we get to yeah, try the uh, we get to try the barley wine. 
And those will be broke out later at some other time, maybe for an episode, maybe not. Don't know yet. So I wonder where else uh, Bourbon County. Well, if we go ahead and uh, slide into news. <laughs> yeah. So super rare Goose Island Bourbon County Stout to go on sale in the UK. Yeah, apparently the very U first. U of K. <laughs> I don't think that's 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 not the chant. But apparently I'm the talking first about University of Kentucky. That's where we're selling them, right? Well, that's where we bought it. <laughs> and incidentally, uh, <laughs> is the same amount that we had at our liquor store. Uh, hmm. Bourbon County Stout is something of a holy grail of craft beer fans. A winner of countless accolades, including gold at the World Beer Cup, it is a rich, swirling black hole packed full of so many flavors. Judges were forced to use new words to describe its taste when it first landed. And yeah, it is. I mean, this is the beer that set the current bourbon barrel aging stouts. That's why everyone does it now. Uh, clocking in at a flooring 11 to 15 percent ABV, it is <laughs> brewed and aged in Kentucky bourbon barrels for 9 to 12 months, and each annual batch is so sought after, even the empty bottles end up finding buyers online. That I did not know. Yeah. Uh, distribu- I mean, I, I might be willing to buy the bottle just to fill it full of water and just try to drink that just for a taste. <laughs> just to get some uh, residue out of it? As long as you can guarantee me no one, like if they did, they poured it straight out of the glass. No one licked anything. No, I licked it. I rubbed uh. it places. Uh. Now I'm sad. There's a mournful howl that comes out of that bottle, even when someone's not blowing across it. <laughs> Distribution of the small amount of Bourbon County Stout produced is usually kept to the U.S., but the beer is getting its first proper U.K. Black Friday launch in 2016. Uh, I, I guess this this is, makes me wonder, how how common are American craft beers overseas? Uh, there are a few now. I mean, uh, Stone has a brewery in Germany now, and yeah. there are a few others. A lot of them distribute across... So it's not that uncommon. They're just not getting the freshest product. Right. Except from Stone now, who's just like throwing, they're just walking down throwing hops in Brits' faces. And Germans. Yes, in the Germans' faces. But the Germans are used to it, so. Right. Are they are they used to that level of hops, or is like the Ryan Heiskaboot SS constantly like coming in going, what's it, very off papers? Read your recipe papers? They're used to that many hops. I mean, it's okay. not that's not that big a deal to them. Maybe to the Brits. I know. I just, I just, well, I mean, England's where they started inventing, you know, bitters and making the uh, IPAs. Well, 100 bottles, uh, this is Will, but it should be past tense now, were available at uh, Clapton Craft Kentish Town in London on 25th of November. And there are sure to be queues outside. The company's brewmaster described this year's edition, which has... A price tag of twenty pounds, jeez, and featuring toffee and molasses, fresh tobacco, and a bit of leather to go with the roast and barrel notes you were used to. Twenty pounds—that's what does that come to in U.S. dollars? That's twenty-five, uh, twenty-six. Well, the pound took a pretty hard drop recently. It's still um, up on us, but still, that's we paid like ten bucks a bottle. Because it's uh, 1.24, so one and a quarter U.S. dollars to one pound. Okay. That's still, a, well, I guess for so shipping. It's extra, 
It's almost $25. Yeah. Yeah, so they had uh, for shipping, getting it over there. I guess I could see it being marked up that much. That's just kind of crazy. Uh, yeah, Goose Island's connection to the UK goes back many years, starting literally with John Hall's inspiration for creating the brewery back in 1988. Mike Siegel, lead innovation brewer at Goose Island Beer Company, added, uh, We were one of the first U.S. craft breweries to send beer to the U.K. over a decade ago, including a very small amount of the very first bottlings of Bourbon County Stout. Uh, that beer's tremendous popularity forced us to pull back the U.K. allotment to serve our great fans in the U.S. But now, for the first time since then, we returned Bourbon County Stout to the U.K. So, Yeah. <laughs> They go nice. on, there's just a quick little thing. They're like, oh, you know, it's kind of unfair. But whatever. Cheers. <laughs> they have it. Yeah, hmm. I mean, they, have, they, they they got any of it, which is, which is pretty nice. All of the UK uh, got the, the UK. amount that our liquor store got. <laughs> I mean, they're not a large country. <laughs> How many people could possibly, possibly be in that country? I mean, if I look over on the globe in my room, it's like an inch big. <laughs> You can't even fit a whole person on there. I mean, come on. Right. But no, it's uh, it's going global again. I saw some other stories. It was in uh, for the Migration Week thing they were doing from Goose Island for the longest time. They took samplings of Bourbon County Stout to um, China for tastings. Mm. So they might catch a taste for it, which they caught a taste for bourbon in that part of the world recently. And now <laughs> it's kind of taken off. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. He's got a taste for bourbon beers. <laughs> Not our beers. All right, we'll just go ahead and scoot on past this. Uh, Massachusetts is leading the way for national crackdown on the pay-to-play scandals. Uh, we talked about this when it broke. That was months ago. I can't remember how long ago that was. Yeah. I think, wasn't Yingling? Yeah, Yingling was at the center of it. Like, they weren't uh, doing it, but their distributors... We're doing it, like forcing bars to pay a ton to carry it. I don't remember. There were some there were some craft distributors that were that were in trouble. I, I don't know if it was one of Yingling's, but I I remember there being more of some of the there was another craft name that we knew fairly well. Yeah, there were a few in there. But federal alcohol regulators on Wednesday vowed a national crackdown on pay to play in the beer industry, taking aim at an illegal practice. It came to light last year in Massachusetts when the state caught a distributor paying bars to put its brews on tap. Uh, Such schemes, federal officials said, limit consumers' opportunity to choose from a broader variety of beers by awarding tap handles to the highest bidder. The practice is also harmful to small craft brewers who rely on taps to gain access to the market but can't afford to outbid larger companies in order to secure them. Yeah, it's kind kind of a big deal, kind of a big problem. Yeah, uh, and like that's that's an issue that happens a lot in distributing uh, distributing markets like this. You know, they have a multi tiered system like this. That mm. the companies can put pre- can put pressure on distributors who can put pressure on you know on on places that you know on sellers, yeah, bars on, and whatnot on small sellers, small providers. We'll say. <laughs> Uh, Officials at the U.S. Alcohol and Tobacco Tax and Trade Bureau issued the warning of a crackdown Wednesday as they announced the settlement of previously undisclosed six-month investigation of the Massachusetts distributor Craft Brewers Guild. That was was the one we mentioned before, though. I remember the name of that 
yeah. distributor. Uh, the Everett-based company already admitted to Massachusetts regulators last year that it paid various Boston bars more than $120,000 to stock its beers and freeze out those offered by competitors, a practice officials ruled was a violation of, I was like, what is that word? It's of, of state. Of state. Of state regulations. <laughs> Uh, the federal investigators now say those payments to bars also violate U.S. trade practice laws. Faced with the possibility of having its federal license suspended or revoked, Craft Brewers, yeah, Craft Brewers Guild voluntarily paid $750,000 to settle the case, the largest sum the U.S. Alcohol Bureau has ever collected from a single company for trade practice violations. In a brief statement, the parent company of Craft Brewers Guild, uh, the Sheehan family... Sheehan? Sheehan? Confirmed, Sheehan, Sheehan, yeah, confirmed the deal and said it fully cooperated with the investigation. I mean, yeah. I imagine if they, they fully cooperated once someone said, look, we'll turn off, we'll take your license. And they went, oh, whoa, 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 here's a big bag of money. <laughs> yeah, they're like, oh, oh, we've got this in the back room. We're used to paying people. <laughs> <laughs> oh, me. Yeah, the whole thing kind of got out of hand. Uh this is not something I intend to walk away from. You're going to see further investigations in this area. As uh, from uh, Robert Angelo, director, of, the director, of, director of that massive bureau I read earlier. That sounds way too long. Uh, well, I think it's two different groups because there's the ATF, and then there's I think there's the the. There, oh, okay, no, never, never mind. Unless the the ATF has a lot of extra letters after it, we don't read. <laughs> they very well might. Uh, I don't want industry members to consider getting caught the cost of doing business. I want them to realize there are significant consequences if we catch you. Uh, Crafters have been saying for years that pay-to-play is rampant, especially in crowded urban markets. Angelo acknowledged those complaints and admitted to government. Uh, the government has failed to consistently enforce the federal prohibition against so-called slotting fees in the beer industry or payments from brewers and wholesale wholesalers to retailers. It's definitely getting a lot more emphasis now. Uh, Greg Cook, founder of Stone Brewing in California, said he had repeatedly raised the issue with members of Angelo's agency at industry conferences only to be brushed off. He welcomed the decision to step up enforcement now, but questioned why regulators didn't investigate other distributors too. <laughs> probably because they had all of their money. In... That actually probably to me strikes more of, look, we have a limited amount of resources we can investigate at once. Yeah, you need to make an example of one person so the others will be more afraid to go forward. But yeah, this one came to light and made headlines. They're like, "All right, that's who that's who the book's going at." It's, I guess what better way to set yeah. the precedent? Yeah. Right, and I feel like you're going to see a lot more of them, kind of like ease back a bit and go, "No, no, 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 nope." Look, we'll go, we'll go back to doing it. But we're going to do it, you know, six months later when when the heat's not quite staring at us. Yeah, that's the whole. Uh, this whole article wraps up. Uh, some in the beer industry are skeptical of the ban on pay-to-play. They argue that the practice is common and legal in other industries. Soda companies routinely pay for prime shelf space at grocery stores, for example, and that regulators trying to stop it will forever be swimming upstream against the natural market value of tap handles and shelf space. No serious efforts to repeal state or federal pay-to-play regulations and laws prohibiting the practice have emerged, however. So it's it's just been a thing. It's like it's as this is showing and as 
Cook was trying to say, like, look, this is happening right under your noses, and you're just ignoring it. Like, the whole industry is like, yeah, this is just how it works, and something needs to be done about it. Yeah, and, like, I part of me wants to say, like, yeah, it'd make it a lot easier to for everyone to get craft beer if it was a fairer playing field to get stuff picked up by distributors and put into places. But a lot of it is, like, built in at this point, too. Like, you know, people are still going to be buying Bud Light and Coors Light and Miller Light more than they're going to be buying craft stuff. As long as we're going to be alive, I feel. Yeah. I don't um, see that ever, I don't see that shifting in our lifetime. No. What uh, was it, uh, the woman in uh, the Beer Wars movie, when she's trying to sell her beer in the exact same manner uh, that the way that Boston Beer started, how he went around just bar to bar and place selling it beer by beer to get yeah. it on a tap handle somewhere, and they show her trying to do the same thing, and it does not like I can't, the movie. The movie's a little older now, and I can't even remember the name of the beer. Like it obviously did not take off. It was a beer that um, something with moon in the name, but it was uh, the idea was that it was a uh, a beer with caffeine. And it yeah it never went anywhere, so it just like this. Uh, it could have been pay to play at you know that was in there kind of blocking this because she didn't have the capital to put up to get her beer put on tap handles anywhere. Wait, like she's probably caffeine skirting. in the beer. Are we sure it wasn't buzz beer? <laughs> buzz beer. It definitely had a different name. Yeah, um, I can't remember now. It, a, yeah, a quick I, Google I, search would uh, probably enlighten us on the subject. I can even picture the woman and everything. The mo- that movie's old or the, well, I guess it's a documentary, but. I think a lot of that stuff still holds true, and and a lot of the numbers they talk about have probably just gone up at this point. Yeah, yeah, probably. All right, we've we've barked about that too much. Let's let's lighten things up a little bit here. Literally lighten them up. Uh, <laughs> Bud Light is offering one lucky winner Super Bowl tickets for a lifetime. Bud Light is getting its Willy Wonka on. Says CNN. Thanks Say. CNN. <laughs> CNN, you had one job. It was to resist this. No, CNN had one job that they utterly failed at. It Look, not we're, not, we're not a politics show. I'm certain no one wants to hear a three-hour diatribe about, well, anything. So let's... The company is offering one lucky fan the chance to find a golden beer can and win Super Bowl tickets for life. Up or to 51 years. Yeah, which is up to 51 years. Up they 51 actually years. don't expect you to live terribly long. <laughs> I mean, they're hoping it's like some someone who's of the legal age to drink. So let's assume... So they'll die at 74. Year, yeah, 21-year-old. They're expecting him to live to be 72. And if he drinks enough Bud Light, he may not get that far. <laughs> well, you got to think. It's got to be someone who's going to be drinking a lot of these to get well... Or are they? Let's just go ahead and roll into that. Uh, the promotion starts Monday and runs until January 13th. Super Bowl 51 is slated for February 5th. Anheuser-Busch, InBev. Why do they just say AB InBev? No one else says Anheuser-Busch InBev. AB InBev, which makes Bud, will distribute 37,000 golden Super Bowl 51 cans to stores across the U.S., except in California. Screw you, California. <laughs> I don't know Pat, why. Too good for too long. It's got to be some kind of... Uh, Gambling or not gambling, yeah. but uh, uh, no, there's probably some sweepstakes rules that they have going on there. Mm. Yeah, you gotta remember you can't, you also can't market directly to children in California and things like that. 
Uh, to enter, fans have to first find a golden can or print a gold label from BudLight.com. So you don't even but, have to find the can. You can just go print the label. <laughs> what? Next, they have to take a photo with the can and post it on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or the Bud Light website with the hashtag, hashtag SBT or SBTix for life and hashtag sweeps. Six lucky winners will be chosen per week to get a pair of season tickets to their favorite team leading up to the final drawing for the grand prize. The big winner will be selected during the week of January 16th, 2017. That just kind of lets all the air I have a counter-proposal for their plan. Okay. Six lucky winners get chosen over over the duration of the thing. Then we put them all into a room, make them play football. (laughs) But we put spikes on their on their shoulder pads. I the we survivor, the survivor, gets to get Super Bowl tickets for life. I thought we were gonna go Hunger Games with it, which I'd be I mean, all it got for. to Hunger Games. It's not. It's not too far off. But, okay, so They're this was a last minute hyper football. Yeah, this was a last minute addition, and so I really didn't like totally go through it. This seems dumb. <laughs> like the as soon as I saw the printing the label thing, I was like, "Wait, what?" Yeah, you don't even have to find the cans. So it's like part part like part uh like oh I found the golden ticket and then part random number generator from a hashtag. It, yeah, it's like, hey, come look at us. Maybe if someone put a a picture of them, uh, a particularly good picture with that hashtag, I guess. Sheer odds say like thirty seven thousand cans. If they're distributed pretty evenly across the country, that just about every very large Super Bowl party should have one. Yeah. Like, at least one. Well, and across the country, that isn't California. Yeah, minus California. (laughs) But, I mean, it'd still be neat. I I bet those cans will be worth something. Yeah. After the fact. Uh, Some some sort of collectible thing for someone down the road. I mean, if one of you gets one of those cans, I mean, we'd take it off your hands. <laughs> Just the can, though. I don't really care about Super Bowl tickets. I mean, yeah, you could open the can and dump the beer out, but... I don't really watch football. Then melt the, the tab back in place so it looks like it was never opened. Mm, indeed. And then the beer is magically gone. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's going on if you want to be part of that. You don't even have to buy. You don't have to buy anything. You can just go to the website and print a label... And hold it up and take a picture and put all the hashtags, which I'm sure, all over the website. So, I wonder how long that's going to be trending. I'm going to say not that's, very long. Well, it doesn't go like, on that long, like really. That's the real reason for this, right? Because, you know, every... Yeah, the Twitter presence. Every Everything like this, is, every big promotion like this is all about advertising. Yeah. And so I have to imagine the goal is to just to stay a trending topic as long as possible. Yeah. So people keep clicking on there to see what's trending. Yeah, we can't see yet because it doesn't start till Wednesday. Is that it, Wednesday? No, it starts today. Monday. Ooh. So, I mean, could someone someone jump on Twitter and see if... No? Okay, never mind. No. <laughs> no, I, my screen's too small as it is. <laughs> but as the playoffs approach, we want to see fandom turned up another notch said Anna Rogers, Director of NFL Partnerships and Strategy. Anheuser-Busch, 
most NFL fans likely won't see one Super Bowl in their lifetime. So we figured, what better way to reward one of the NFL's biggest fans than by giving him or her tickets to the big game for the rest of their life? No, technically, most NFL fans will see a number of Super Bowls in their lifetime, just not in person. And they're probably better off for it. I mean, large sporting events like that get, like, it's just, it's just a nightmare. It's just a nightmare. It is not yeah. currently tw- trending on Twitter. Well, it doesn't The day start... of this recording. Yeah, if it's just starting today. Yeah. Probably haven't had that many people get cans and... Yeah. Um, but the can yeah. makes the beer taste terrible. <laughs> so, in the pre-show, we fought for like a half an hour trying to find... Uh, I got a golden ticket clips to play in front of this. And and then we couldn't settle on one, so we just said, forget it. <laughs> we also discovered that I've got a golden ticket sounds a lot like the Doctor Who theme. Yeah, especially oh, the, the Primus version. The Primus cover where they throw it in another key. <laughs> yeah, like it's get weird. creepy how much it sounded like it, because I was like, oh, that's, that's Doctor Who. Allow me to demonstrate. <laughs> Uh, All right, so let's go ahead and roll into some Untapped. All right. Get riggedy, riggedy, wrecked, Oh, I mean, at this rate, I probably will be. Um, Yeah, so let's talk about our first batch, which is Wake Up with Founders. Mm. Wake up, San Francisco. Such Uh, a glorious-looking batch. Yeah, (laughs) and I I can already say I've already woken up with Founders, and most of you have already as well, as I could tell on Untapped. Wake up your taste buds to the bold flavor of Founders Brewing Company's breakfast stout, jam-packed with chocolate, coffee, oats, and a complete disregard for restraint. (laughs) Uh, It's one of the most beloved of uh, all fall beers, and you can enjoy it for breakfast. In fact, we encourage it. Check into one Founders Breakfast Stout between November 15th and December 15th, and you unlock the It's 9 a.m. Somewhere badge. Jeez. Yeah, and um, they, they had a video and, pairing it with Cocoa Puffs. Look, ever since an episode of MASH showed it to me, I've always thought, I was like, man, one day I'm just going to get be really hungover and think, hey, let's just pour some beer on the cereal and go to town. Sure, sure. That's, uh, that's when you know that you're just done. Probably. Yeah, Founders has their Founders Beer Finder to find a four-pack bottle near you. Yeah, no, I'm looking at this badge, and I'm like, yeah, I do love their breakfast stout. Mm. It is pretty it's good. It's most of Founders stouts I enjoy, though. Like, I can't think of one that I'm like, oh, this is awful. This is garbage. <laughs> it's like most of Founders things. I want to say they can't do wrong, or at least I they've just... not done wrong by me yet. It's hard for them to do wrong. Yeah. With that many stouts? Hmm. Oh, all right. So what what else do we got? All right. Well, we do have some core badge updates. The core Woo! badge updates have just been rolling out like one a month. Yeah. I had it's like all it's for it. nearing the end of a quarter and they're just like, here. <laughs> Everyone remember to go vote for core badges, though. Go vote. Yeah. Um, okay. So we have one, two, three, four, five. <laughs> I had to count them. Uh, five new core badges. And uh, they all have pretty great design. I'm, I'm only really excited about like two of them. <laughs> For some reason. So we have Whaling for Wales, which is check into five different beers from a brewery from Wales. Uh, get them to the Greek, or get them to Greek. Sorry, I'm the movie. Um, check into five different beers from a brewery from Greece. Um, I want to do that one while being in a room with a fuzzy wall and then being chased by Puff Daddy. Oh, such a good movie. <laughs> 
just like yeah, I could be drinking, just going like, "This is like the longest hallway ever." <laughs> it's Kubrickian. <laughs> Favorite joke in that when whole movie. The world hands you a Jeffrey. <laughs> Stroke the furry Stroke. wall. Okay. Stroke. It's a great movie. Go see it. Um, then we also have, oh God, Terrorvisex. Eh? Yeah. We're gonna say that's all. Let's say that. Say that. Check into five different beers from a brewery from Estonia. It is hard enough for me to find Finnish beers. I am not even going to be able to find Estonian beers. Um, do these beers do these beers rig awards? Oh, <laughs> these Estonian beers. Yes, or at least they'll maybe motivate you to. Um, they'll make a nice little bookmarklet. <laughs> uh, cheers to you! Check into any beer and celebrate your untapped anniversary every year. I, we actually got this like around the same time, recently, and I for, I, w- I was very confused about it because I think it was before we found out that they updated these badges. Yeah, I saw this update and I was like, it's like someone's anniversary, and I checked in, it's yours. I was like, no, it's not. <laughs> Liar. And then uh, finally, we have Ich bin ein Berliner, which is check into five different beers from the style of Berliner Weiss. No, no, you have to do it in the in the JFK. Ich bin ein Berliner. I was scared ich it was going to make me cough. <laughs> I was just worried it was going to make me cough, so I didn't bother. But yeah, there's also, you got to go check out the badges up for vote right now. There are some good ones. Uh, yeah. Pizza and Brew, that's the one leading. Uh, check into five different beers, the category of pizza restaurant. I'm okay with this. Uh, Sword of the Stone. <laughs> Schwartz Beers, Lagers, and Black Lagers, and Euro Darks. Um, by the w- oh wing joints wing joints by the wing along the coast Portugal Portugal no no there was another one the backpacker checking a five the beers dark- from a brewery from the following Southeast Asian countries okay <laughs> Myanmar Thailand Malaysia Philippines Singapore Indonesia like what <laughs> who <The> are- darks <laughs> I'm just looking at this one now the dark side checking to five different beers with the style of black IPA. <laughs> Beware of the bison. Five different beers from a brewery from the country of Belarus. Really? Uh, Rapagosa around it. It's... Hella delicious. You gotta Two give it to him. Five the names. beers, the style of lager, Hellas. No, there was a port. Uh, to the port? Yeah, to the port for porters. And uh, it's like way down the list. There's no way it's gonna be one. Strong as an ox. The beers from the Ukraine. Wow, pool party. Check it to a beer at five different places categorized as a pool or bathhouse. Yes, that one needs to be one because I want to get that leveled to 50. Oh, my God. <laughs> Just because. Oh, okay, this one's not going to get it. But the at the very bottom, silence of the lambics. Uh, <laughs> that's oh, great. yes. Five and, different beers of lambic other or lambic fruit. Lambic There's drink. also Ned the Flander. <laughs> Those need to be. That's a rule that you have to name it that. Ah, uh, the flander. Howdy ho there, neighborino. <laughs> if they don't have that badge, look something like him. I swear to God. As, oh. Or at the very least, just have howdy ho there, neighborino. Yeah. <laughs> Turkish bath, chicken, five different beers from a brewery from Turkey. Okay, uh, everyone, man. go go check out and vote on Untapped for the uh, yeah. for the new. The new oh, the zoo. Brew at the zoo. Yeah. I, I really do want a bathhouse brewing thing. 
Right? That'd be amazing. All right. Uh, we've got one more currently available badge. Uh, Sugar Creek Brewing Company. Celebrate with Sugar Creek Brewing. Uh, bring Belgian-inspired beer to to the Carolinas and beyond. Sugar Creek Brewing Company is handcrafting high-quality, freshly brewed beers by combining the watchful eye of Trappist Monk and the technical precision of Nuclear Engineer. Wow, that sounds dangerous. <laughs> nuclear Monks. I'm... Yeah. Uh, utilizing unique yeast combinations, hops, and malt varieties, Sugar Creek is infusing traditional recipes with modern tastes and techniques. Is it celib- Nuclear Monk a class in D&D? It should be, shouldn't it? I think it should be a prestige. <laughs> it's at least a mashup combination for that game, though. <laughs> or for Smash Up, sorry. I've got yeah. four levels in Monk, and I want to take two levels in Nuclear Engineer. Uh, whether you're celebrating one of life's sweet accomplishments or just good company, Sugar Creek 750 milliliter bottles are the perfect shared celebrations. Check in a one, yeah, Biera del de Garde. Biera de Garde, the atmosphere triple or double. Or double. Uh, between November 10th, December 10th, and you'll unlock the celebrating with SCB badge. Yeah, I don't think I've seen a lot of their stuff in our area. No. But I think you guys are probably more lucky than us and have it around you. So go get it. Get the badge. Drinky, drinky. (laughs) Get them. Get badges. Get drunk. Repeat. (laughs) That is is a dangerous logo. Let's not ever accept that as our our motto. Please don't. Drinky, drinky? (laughs) No, I mean, get badges, get drunk, repeat. Get badges, get drunk, repeat. Get badges, get drunk, repeat. No, No, let's not make that a thing. Get badges, get drunk, repeat. Uh, All right. Well, uh, I do believe that there's there's a reason we're acting the way we're acting, and it's probably because <laughs> of the topic. So, why don't we why don't we go ahead and row on in? Don't mind if I do. So I wasn't the only one dancing and drinking during that. Okay, we, it uh, was a it was a real it was a toss up because they have rum, they have a, a song called "The Famous Old Spice," uh, have... or they're just Captain Morgan's Revenge. Yeah, I mean, it's not really about rum, but it could have gone either I mean, way. <laughs> there's uh, there's great big seas, uh, the old black rum. It's oh yeah. Song. <laughs> anyway, talking about rum today, so. Let's get a little bit of background on it. Uh, the etymology of the word, uh, no one's quite sure the origins. Uh, the name may be derived from uh, rumbulian, meaning a great tumult or uproar. Some claim the name is from the large drinking glasses used by Dutch seamen, known as rummers. Uh, another options include contradictions, uh, contractions sorry, uh, of the words saccharum, uh, Latin for sugar, or aroma, which is French for aroma. Oh, wait, I've got that pronunciation. Hold on. Give it a click. <laughs> I tried to link them all this time. Arome. Arome. Because French. Because French. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I've been drinking too much to realize that I needed to leave that E off. Uh, I would never be able to say that in a million years. <laughs> Uh, in the current usage, the name uh, used for rum is also is often based on the rum's place of origins. For rum from Spanish-speaking locales, uh, the word ron is used. 
a ron anejo uh indicates a rum that has been aged uh, and is often used for premium pot products rum is the term used for french-speaking locales where i've got this one too rumville oh hold on maybe two seconds rum vieux Oh, who was close? <laughs> you were. One, one year of French actually paid off. <laughs> Whereas three years of German have done nothing for me. Uh, anyway, that's an aged French rum. Uh, just, well, we'll talk about that in another day. Uh, the <laughs> precursor to rum dates back to antiquity. Uh, development of fermented drinks produced from sugarcane uh, juice is believed to have occurred either in ancient India or China and has uh, and to have spread from uh, spread out from there. An example of such an early drink is brum produ- produced by the Malay people. Brum dates back thousands of years. Marco Polo is also uh, in uh, the 14th century has a recorded account of very good wine of sugar that was offered to him in the area that became modern day Iran. Uh, the first distillation of rum uh, took place on the sugarcane plantations in the Caribbean in the 17th century. Uh, Caribbean sugar farmers had serious industrial waste problem. These planters produced sugar by crushing sugarcane, boiling the resulting juices, and leaving the boiled syrup to cure in clay pots. A viscous liquid would seep out into the pots, out of the pots, and the sugar was would be left behind. That liquid was molasses. Today we know molasses as delicious enabler of gingerbread and I don't know what those pies are. Shoofly? Shoofly? Shoofly pies. Okay. I don't have no idea. I don't know what that is, but I was expecting it to be like shoofly. I was saying shoofly in my head. But in the 17th century, planters couldn't give away the cloying liquid. Uh, slaves and livestock ate some of the molasses, but for the most part, it was an annoying bit of industrial waste. Man, <laughs> if only... We could get rid of industrial waste by eating it now. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, oh, what are we gonna do with all this nasty, problems. toxic sludge? Yeah, talk about your old world problems. <laughs> well, I mean, if this were the fifties, I'm sure they would try and get away with it. Oh, don't worry about that. It. it glows and it tastes a little, you know, like apricots. <laughs> Everything's fine. You'll get superpowers, kids. Uh. Production of the two pound uh, two pounds of sugar yielded a pound of molasses, so colonial planters were swimming in the sticky trash. With no export ma- uh, market for practical use for it at home, planters resorted to dumping the unwanted molasses into the ocean. Can you imagine the sugar high those fish were on? <laughs> right, and just imagine if there's like they talk about the garbage island. If there's just some kind of old world garbage island, it's just a giant island of molasses still floating around. Uh, I mean, it's probably dissolved, but I can dream, can't I? Uh, this whole every time we mention molasses, by the way, I keep thinking about that. that I hope you'd bring place, it up. The, yeah, well, I mentioned in pre-show the the explosion of a molasses factory. I think it was like in the uh, 19th century, wasn't it? I believe so. But like somewhere up in 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 New England, when a, a molasses thing exploded in a plant, and it just slowly absorbed a town quick get out of the way i mean quickish you got some time we can have lunch i mean there's no rush really 
just wasn't anything you could do about it. <laughs> you had time to empty the houses. I mean, it's like, yeah, go grab some of it while you're at it. I put the animals in front. Maybe they can eat it faster than it can move. <laughs> you say that, and then all of a sudden you've found a goat remains. Like, a week later when you finally chisel everything out, it's like, oh no. Sheepy, he was my favorite. He'll be delicious. Fire up the grill. Uh, anyway, luckily for the planters, someone eventually figured it out to use for the molasses. By mixing it with uh, the liquid skimmed off cane juice during the initial boiling and fermenting it, one created a serviceable starting point for distillation. Moving forward, the history of rum breaks off into three geographical areas. Colonial America, a naval tradition, and Colonial Australia. I like the Australian bit. <laughs> it doesn't really serve to uh, better imi- like their image, but it really does play to stereotypes. <laughs> Unfortunate. Um, for so, on the Colonial America front, uh, after rum's development in the Caribbean, the drink's popularity spread to the Colonial North America. To support the demand for the drink, the first rum distillery in the British colonies of North America was set up in 1664 on present-day Staten Island. Boston, Massachusetts had a distillery three years later, and the manufacture of rum became early colonial New England's largest and most prosperous industry. New England became a distilling center due to the technical metalworking and cooperage, cooperage. cooperage skills and Making abundant lumber. Oh, okay. I did not know that word. Um, the rum produced, there was a lighter, more like whiskey. Uh, sorry. Yeah, whiskey. <laughs> Rhode Island rum even joined gold as an accepted currency in Europe for a period of time. That's just kind of amazing. <laughs> just going in there like, yeah, no, I've got, uh, I have 4,000 th- 4, gold coins here for you. There's some really dark I bits I cut out, uh, but some of it's still in there. But I, I cut some of the horrible slave trade stuff out. Oh, okay. God, yeah, no, like... Oh yeah, we don't. We're let's, not gonna get into that. Let's let's all take a second and remember that this is a really depressing, depressingly made drink during its first few, first century or so. Yeah, it was not a there were, there were revolts. <laughs> yeah, right. estimates of rum consumption in the American colonies before the American Revolutionary War had every man, woman, or child drinking an average of three imperial gallons of rum each year. Fourteen liters. But yeah, that's wow. Um, man, woman, and child. Just point that out. Just gonna okay. Come on, we've got to keep up, everybody. <laughs> everybody at home, come on. You've got you've got your three gallons. I expect everybody. Three gallons. That counts you too, little Susie. Man, woman, and child. Everyone must do their part. Jeez. Global Wabu, drink. <laughs> Even little Johnny's getting in and doing his part. Oh my god. F you, announcer man. <laughs> So to support the, this demand for the ma- molasses to produce rum, along with the increasing demand for sugar in Europe during the 17th and 18th centuries, a labor source to work the sugar plantations in the Caribbean was needed. A yep. triangular trade was established between Africa, the Caribbean, and the colonies to help support this need. All of a the, sudden, I'm less okay with enjoying this rum now. Yeah. It's about to get worse. Uh, the exchange okay. of slaves, molasses, and rum was quite profitable, and the disruption to the trade caused by the Sugar Act in 1764 may have even helped cause the American Revolution. In the slave trade, rum was also used as a medium of exchange. Yep. That's uh, where I cut it. <laughs> yeah. Because they got into uh, specifics, as in 
how much a human life was towards Worth a barrel of rum. rum. Yeah. Very disturbing. Yeah. yeah, and I didn't want that. Yeah, I, I forget how, like, there's part of me that always remembers how the uh, sugar plantations in the Caribbean were loaded down with uh, slaves and uh, Irishmen. Yeah, uh, that's what we forget. Uh, uh, but, like, you, you, you try to gloss over that now, because, like, I mean, they're not doing it now, but it, it's, oh, Jesus, the blood diamonds of liquor. Yeah. Yeah, it really was. It really was. The popularity of rum continued after the American Revolution, with George Washington insisting on a barrel of Barbados rum at his 1789 inauguration. Rum started to play an important role in in the political system. Candidates attempted to influence the outcome of an election through their generosity with rum. The people would attend the... What? Hustings? What is that? I don't know what that word is. Uh, People would attend those things to see which candidate appeared more generous. The candidate was expected to drink with the people to show he was independent and a true Republican. In the sense that... In that time, Republican. No, in the sense of he is one for the Republic yeah, of our Repub- country. Yes. Because, like, in not, that time... Not the modern political party. There yeah, were no, no so Democrats or Republicans Republican. then. Like, saying he was a Republican, meaning, you know, he was a man of the men. Like, right. I mean... Just after people. Washington, there was there were Federalists and Democrat Republicans, but it wasn't as we see it today. No. All right, uh, let's move on to our next tradition. Here we have naval rum, and this is where we get our uh, kind of modern sense. Uh, rum's association with piracy. Oh, Chris. Mm-hmm. Oh, boy, Justin. <laughs> Rum's association with piracy began with British privateers trading on the valuable commodity. As some of the privateers became pirates and buccaneers, their fondness for rum remained. The association between the two only being strengthened by literary works such as Robert Louis Stevenson's Treasure Island. Yo, ho, ho, and a bottle of rum. (laughs) And furthered even more in the modern day by Ailstorm. Well, I was going to say by Johnny Depp. Well, that too. Where's the rum gone? Uh, it's it's all gone. The associate, at least to Disney, the association of rum with the Royal Navy began in 1655 when the British fleet captured the island of Jamaica. When the availability of domestically produced rum, the British changed the daily ration of liquor given to seamen by French brandy to rum. While the I ration- feel. That was just another big fu to France because <laughs> yeah, when they're like you know England what England can. England can never say screw you France enough. <laughs> never. Yeah, it's, they can never come up with enough reasons. Uh while the ration was originally given neat or mixed uh with lime juice, the practice of watering down the rum began around 1740. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> it took a minute. <laughs> that, that, that took a little while for him to catch on I'm like, wow, these guys are really drunk. You there, hoist the mizzen mask. Mm. Up yours, Captain. <laughs> I ain't doing nothing. <laughs> to help minimize the effect of the alcohol in his sailors, Admiral Edward Vernon had the rum ration watered, producing a mixture that became known as grog. Yes. <laughs> While many believe the term was coined in honor of the grogrum clock, Admiral Vernon uh, wore cloak. in rough cloak. weather. What? Cloak. 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 Oh, my bad. My own rum's kicking in. <laughs> it, was the, it was the flavor flame. No. Uh, yeah. I was, I was like, the clock. 
The term predates his famous order. It probably originates in the West Indies, perhaps of African etymology. The Royal Navy continued to give its sailors a daily rum ration known as a tot until the practice was abolished after 31st July, 1970. Wow. 1970. Yeah, 1970. giving rum to their sailors. And I have this to say to you, England. Why? Why do you hate your people? That they kept it going, that they kept it alive. I give them applause. No, I'm the only... Okay, okay. Uh, a legend involving naval rum and Horatio Nelson says that the... That following his victory and death at the Battle of Trafalgar, Nelson's body was preserved in a cask of rum to allow transportation back to England. Upon arrival, however, the cask was opened and found to be empty. He wasn't dead yet. (laughs) The pickled body was removed, and upon inspection, it was discovered that the sailors had drilled a hole in the bottom of the cask and drunk all the rum. Hence the term Nelson's blood being used to describe rum. It also serves as the basis for the term tapping the admiral being used. To descri- <laughs> yeah, to That's describe- a phrase? That's sick. Oh my god. Describes stereotypically sucking liquor from a cask through a straw. Oh. The details of the story are disputed, as historians claim the cask contained French brandy, whilst others claim instead the term originated from a toast to Admiral Nelson. Variations of the story involving different notable corpses have been in circulation for many years. The official record states merely that the body was placed in refined spirits and does not go into further detail. Oh my god. I like to imagine that it all went into his various missing body parts and they opened <laughs> up the the cast. They went, did he have an arm? Did he have both arms when we put him in here? <laughs> well, this, this should... Uh... Cheer you up. The Royal New Zealand Navy was the last naval force to give sailors a free daily tot of rum. The Royal Canadian Navy still gives a rum ration on special and occasions. The rum is usually provided out of the commanding officer's fund. Way to go, Canada. Way to go. Bravo, Canada. Just just showing true gents. Jeez. When I saw the guy's name, first of all, like I was like Horatio Nelson, and it took me a second. I was like... Wait, that's Admiral Nelson? That's Admiral yeah. Nelson? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the man, yeah, I the man almost who lost won the mind. Battle of Trafalgar while dying. <laughs> like, he got he got brutally, like, he got lethally injured during the fight and was just like, yeah, no. He's mortally wounded. Below decks. Yeah. No, you take me above decks. I have orders to give. Exactly. Like, he was true, like a true badass. Was there a real Captain Morgan? Uh, I don't I mean, know. There probably was a captain at some point named Morgan. Yeah, but I don't know if there's like you know stories and whatnot. Like an infamous yeah. pirate Captain Morgan. I didn't even uh, know a pirate. Like, actually, yes, isn't yeah. Yes. No, there was a. It's uh, just a greatly. Uh, just saying, these are the, the rums that we like. You know, the the famous rums at this point. I hear him quick, Justin, to the internet. <laughs> yeah, I know uh, Henry Morgan. That was his name. Yeah, ah, he okay. was a. Scotsman, right? Oh, uh, maybe no. Welsh. He was a Welsh privateer. All right. Uh, all yeah, right Nelson. So, Nelson was a real man. Sorry. <laughs> uh, there were also the, the. We also have the rum tradition from colonial Australia. The rum rebellion. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Um, rum became an important trade good in the early period of the colony of New 
South Wales. Okay, before I go too deep into this, no one here has seen that. No one on this podcast has seen that Mitchell and Webb look. But there is a bit where they talk about people traveling about captains landing in certain places, and they go like, "You know what this place reminds me of?" <laughs> and like he lands, he's like, "This is truly a fantastic land." With all of these strange jumping creatures with pouches and deadly everything, and and the captain there goes, yeah, you know what it reminds me of? Wales. <laughs> I'm sorry, what? Well, not not northern Wales, obviously, but South Wales. No, we're gonna call this New South Wales. Are you kidding, sir? Um, who has the hat? <laughs> you do, sir. Who's the captain? You are... So I guess we're calling it New South Wales. Jeez. Uh, the, let's see. The value of rum was based on the lack of coinage uh, among the population of the colony, and due to the drink's ability to allow consumers to temporarily forget the lack of uh, creature comforts available in the new colony, uh, the value of rum was such that uh, convict settlers could be induced to work the lands owned by officers of New South Wales Corp. Uh Due to the rum, due to rum's popularity among the settlers, the colony gained a reputation for drunkenness. Uh, though their alcohol consumption was less than levels commonly consumed in England at the time. <laughs> <laughs> this just keeps getting better. I told you it didn't do anything to really. <laughs> now, if you the... just if you try not to think about the horrible slave stuff, um, the history is otherwise fascinating. Except you know what they did to the Aboriginals. Right. Well, I just said. Uh, Australia was so far away from Britain that the convict, uh, convict colony established in 1788 faced severe food shortages compo- compounded with poor conditions of forward growing crops and a shortage of livestock. Eventually it was realized that it might be cheaper for India instead of Britain to supply the settlement of Sindhi. Gee, you think? <laughs> uh, by 1817, uh, two of every three ships which left Sydney went to Java or India. Cargo from Bengal fed and equipped the colony uh, and casks of Bengal rum, which was reputed to be stronger than Jamaican rum and not so sweet, brought back in the depths of nearly every ship from India. And although taken ashore clandestinely to the dismay of their government governors, Britons living in India grew wealthy through sending ships to Sydney laden with half rice and half bad spirits. <laughs> Uh, Rum was intimately involved in the only military takeover of an Australian government known as the Rum Rebellion. When William Bly became governor of the colony, he attempted to remedy the perceived problem with drunkenness by outlawing the use of rum as a medium of exchange. But in response uh, to Bly's attempt to regulate the use of rum in 1808, New South Wales Corp marched with uh, fixed bayonets to the government house and placed (laughs) Bly under arrest. Uh, the mutineers continued to control the colony until the arrival of uh, Governor Lachlan Ooh. McQuarrie. Yes. Lachlan, yeah, Lachlan McQuarrie. In, in a great name. Yeah. So there was <laughs> there was a mutiny. They overthrew the governor because he tried <laughs> to get rid of the rum, and they held all of New South Wales in a mutiny for two years until a new governor could be brought in. Right. New South Wales is not a small segment of Australia. No, no, it is not. It's amazing. There's not a lot of about Australia that's actually that small. It's a it's a continent. True. 
we forget about that because it's you know off on the wrong half of the hemisphere. But you know, where winter is summer. And... It's a topsy turvy, upside down world. Koalas are poisonous. I don't know. <laughs> All the cuddly things will kill you. Everything there kills you. Drop bears everywhere. <laughs> <sighs> All right. Um, getting into more about uh, the drink itself. Uh, how it's made. So most rum is produced from molasses, as we kind of talked about. Much of this being from Brazil, except in French-speaking islands of the Caribbean, where they prefer sugarcane juice as the base. Isn't doesn't that make it cachaça? That actually is on here somewhere else too. Um, I was say because cachaça is made from is basically rum, but it's not made from molasses. You're jumping ahead. <laughs> okay, sorry. Uh, yeast and water are added to start fermentation. Different yeasts are sometimes used, and the yeast source is what determines the final taste. Some lighter rums use fast-working yeasts, uh, though using slower-working yeasts allows for fuller-tasting rum, since more esters accumulate during fermentation. Uh, 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 moral who accumulates when? <laughs> yes, well, that would be three of these words. You can't escape esters and phenols. Um... Rum doesn't have a lot of standards for uh, the production because of the different areas that it's produced in. So, like, an, another big example of this is distillation. Some use pot stills and some use uh, column stills. So, it, it, it all depends on where it's at. Uh, all rum is aged, though, uh, with many countries requiring aging for at least one year. The vessel for aging does tend to differ, though. So, it's going to depend on the color that you're going for. So darker rums go in wooden casks or uh, use or bourbon casks most of the time, which is the mm. oak barrels. And then the clear rum will go in stainless steel ta- tanks. Man, the fact that bourbon can only use their barrels once really helps the rest of the alcohol industry. Like that everyone. Every industry. Bourbon does everything else. Tabasco goes in bourbon barrels. It's true. Uh, yeah, whenever I've had to explain to somebody, like, what, why is some rum clear and some... Some all brown and golden. I was like, they age in barrels. If you ever see something brown, it's because they age it in barrels. Yeah. It went in a charred oak. A delicious, delicious mm. charred oak. Final step after rum has been aged is blending. Lighter rum during this step is filtered to keep its color, and then the caramel may be added to the darker rums to enhance the color. Which mm. just makes it more delicious to my yeah. eyes. Uh, so there are different grades or variations on your rums. So you're going to get, uh, let's start with dark rums, because this is, well, it's pretty much where we're more familiar. Uh, a grade darker than gold rums, it's often brown, black, or red, and usually made from caramelized sugar or molasses. Aged longer in charred barrels with hints of spice and strong caramel or molasses overtone. Mmm. So you'd use uh, the type most used in cooking. So if you get anything that's going to have some kind of you know, sautéed in rum or anything like that, this is probably what they used. Uh, a lot of uh, a lot of your floaters when you're trying to float rum on top of a, certain, a lot of drinks, they usually use a dark rum for color contrast. Hmm. Yeah, it sticks out a lot better. Looks very pleasing to the eye. Hmm. Also, it it gets a lot of. A lot of uh, aromatic flavors right on top where your nose is. Mm. That makes sense. Not where your straw is when you're drinking out of it. (laughs) Because rum is usually in, you know, fruity colored drinks. Right. Yeah. Vodka and rum are the two two go-tos for 
for cocktail drinks usually. Speaking of which, our next grade is flavored, infused with fruit flavors and less than 40% ABV or 80 proof. Uh, generally a flavor for tropical themed cocktails. Name so, yeah. Malibu. What's the first, I would say the first flavored rum you can think of? Malibu coconut. Yeah. Yep. Malibu anything rum. <laughs> well, they're, they're, they're regular as coconut, and then they, they have different flavors on top of that. Right. Okay. The next, uh, a lot of people will confuse this as to mean like that it's a great quality of rum, uh, <laughs> but gold doesn't mean it's like a gold label and like really great just, you know, rum, but it's also referred to as an amber or medium bodied, usually aged in bourbon barrels, uh, midway between dark rum and light rum. So, you know, when you see a gold on the label, gold rum, that's what it's referring to. All about the color. It's not won an award. It's (laughs) telling you about the liquid inside. Like that that same rule applies to tequila. Yeah, yeah, I think Mm. it does. (laughs) Uh, light, also referred to as silver or white. Very little flavor aside from just sweetness. Filtered to remove any color after aging. Uh, the famous Brazilian cachaça is cachaça. this type. <laughs> yes, is this type of rum. The majority of light rums come from Puerto Rico. They're often used in mixed drinks. See, you were just you were just jumping ahead of everything. Well, yeah, but like that's their that's their biggest difference with with cachaça. Is oh yeah, that it's. And it's an important uh, distinction. Mm-hmm. Overproof. Higher than the standard 80 proof. With some as high as 150 proof or 160. Usually used or, in mixed drinks. Or, more uh, more familiarly, uh, 151 proof. Yes, yes, the 151s. Yeah. We have a uh, bottle of uh, 151 Captain that is used for mixing. Yeah, and basically overproof just means if it's over, I think it's 100. If it's anything that's over 100 proof, it's considered overproof, hmm. just to mean that it's it's stronger. Typically, this is where your your burn victims come from. I mean, your flaming <laughs> shots come from. Right, right. Yeah. Your fail videos I on the internet. I still loved watching that on Modern Rogue. When it was like watching his reactions. Was that on Modern Rogue oh. or was that Night Attack? No, it was, uh, it was Night Attack. Night, Night Attack. Uh, yeah, they, they did. Anyone that. unfamiliar? Uh, they have a new game in their. I think it's in their pre or post shows of the the podcast. Night attack of doing flaming shots. Of watching people do flaming shots and them go badly, and they have a ranking system for what's going to happen. <laughs> Whether it's Bluebeard, Dulcim, Johnny Storm, uh, <laughs> still waiting on Night Rider. Yeah. Oh God. Very messed up. Okay. You can you can guess what each of those might mean. Yeah. Oh, there needs to be a night rider that needs to happen. <laughs> ah! Getting in the car. Just drive off while I'm still burning. It's just a skull left by the end of it. Okay, your premium, uh, categorized with other sipping spirits like cognac and scotch, more character and flavor, and consumed straight. Usually sold by boutique brands. I don't know how I feel about. Adding scotch to rum? No, no, it's they're, it's categorized with it. Oh, okay. Like it, you sorry, would, like the way that the way the that premiums, read that, was like yes, you're very much going to drink it in a manner. You would not mix scotch with anything, right? You would not mix cognac with anything. 
Like that's like a premium, like any premium spirit, you should just be taking neat up. Maybe, maybe with some ice, depending on the spirit. I don't think I've ever had premium rum, honestly. Mm, pretty sure you have. I don't know. I believe what uh, Justin is enjoying is classified as premium. He may have uh, to yeah. enlighten us. Uh, okay, our last category is the one us here in the states are most familiar with: spiced. Uh, have added oh, spices yeah. like cinnamon, rosemary, aniseed. Aniseed, you already knew in advance. I was not <laughs> going to be able to say that. Or pepper, and sometimes added caramel. Uh, based on gold rums, but tend to be darker. Cheaper brands use inexpensive white rums with caramel to darken the color. Yeah, I'm thinking of like Castillo Gold. <laughs> Where yeah. I'm pretty sure they just like, oh, screw it. Toss a little bit, or Castillo spiced or whatever. Like, let's toss a little bit of caramel in there for color. Yeah, and it was uh, one of the articles we were sourcing from. Uh, which one was it? The Mental Floss article. Oh, the eleven, the list. Yeah, it gave us this nice little list. So I've straight up never heard of most of these. A few of them. Out of the the yeah rums you should be drinking. Yes, yeah. yes, these are the ones to keep your eyes out for. These are, I guess, fancy ones. Uh, so we've got. The El Dorado Special Reserve, 15-year-old. The Gosling's Old Rum. The Ron... Vizcaya. Vizcaya. Sugar Island Spice Rum. The Brugal. Yeah, I was going to say Brugal, 1888 Grand Reserve. Reserva, rather. Ron Zacapa Centenero. 23-year-old. Yeah, we don't have to go through the whole list. <laughs> I'm just kind of looking through some of these. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, the Mount Gay Black Barrel, that's like one of that's You can find that in a lot of places. Everyone knows Mount Gay is like one of the best brands. Uh, Bacardi Anejo, uh, I've heard of, but never actually seen anywhere. I've seen the brand Cruzan Estate before. Yeah, the Cruzan Estate Single Barrel. Yeah, a lot of these, you go to Bacardi and the Cruzans, they make some cheap crap as well. Everybody yeah. makes their, like, affordable crap, and then here's the stuff that you want to get some top shelf on. They make the, the stuff El Dorado you're Special Reserve, I think, is one I've heard of. And it being a 15-year-old, that's something special. But, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, most of most of my rum experience is usually near the, the lower end of the spectrum. Mostly stuff I'll mix with Coke. Yeah. Right. That's, like, the thing to do. But uh, we've also got, if you revisit the vodka episode, uh, we went into the article from Paste Magazine that they talk about uh, a lot of breweries and the spirits they make. And we spent a long time get, going through all those. So you could just go back to the vodka episode, and we you know talk about all the different breweries who are currently making rums as well. Yeah, I think most of them. I mean, if they do a vodka, they're, they're inevitably going to do a rum and then... Like what's another one? I mean, I mean, they, it's like they pick like three or four, and they're like, "Here you go." Yeah, rum, <laughs> like vodka, gin, whiskey, and rum gin. Are the easier ends of the spectrum for yeah. distilling. Yeah. All right. All right. I think that's gonna wrap up our topic. I think so. But I do believe we actually have some feedback. Woohoo! We got one. <laughs> woohoo would have sounded a lot more impressive if my voice, you know. I am right there with you. Um, so we got a Facebook uh, feedback from Michael from Columbus, uh, Columbus, Ohio. That is. Hey, just up the just up the interstate from us there. 
Uh, so he said, he's, I started listening to the podcast via the morning stream. Hey, our ads paid off. Um, <laughs> the morning stream. <laughs> the morning stream. Yeah, that's kind of what I sound like. <laughs> that's how we sound now. Um, said, I really enjoy the show and I'm working my way through the back catalog. I was excited to find out that you all are from the Cincinnati oh. area and Frog right. Bands fans. Let huh? me let me put a pause on this. Don't go too far back. You don't want to hear. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't don't know. That's uh, uh, or always gonna... forward, forward. <laughs> or I suggest, as uh, stuff you should know has begun pioneering the sandwich technique, where you do an old episode, then a new episode, an old episode, <laughs> then a new new episode. That way, you're kind of working from both ends there, so you're kind of caught up on the new stuff. Yes. Mm. Um, but he said, I live in Columbus, Ohio, and if you're ever near my neck of the woods, we have some awesome breweries, and I know a pretty good local guide, too, points to self. Uh, keep up the awesome work. No, we really want to come up to Columbus. There are a lot of good breweries that are, that, are, uh, that are kicking up there. But we still have to come down to Lexington for a yeah. weekend so of raiding things. breweries in Justin's backyard. We need, we need to make that plan. We do. Like, we still want to do a live episode from Hopcat. I want to go to Ethereal. I want to go to Country Boy. Like, I actually want to go to West 6th. If we don't get to plan oh, this man. until next year, when I may or may not be Preggers McGee. Um, DD! Woo! I yeah. get a DD for nine months. Yeah! But Me we, and Chris getting tore up. At yeah. the very... Okay, no. Uh, at the very least, <laughs> <laughs> we're going to Hopcat so I can just eat everything. <laughs> getting riggedy, riggedy wrecked, son! <laughs> like i just yeah. have to go have crack fries <laughs> but i would actually like i don't know if i've ever actually uh i think i've been through columbus my way to other places but i actually haven't taken the time to chill out and see what local breweries they have i'm gonna we've, do that at some point we've never really gotten to go through the breweries either because the only times we ever go up there are for his cousin's um halloween party they do and mm. it's just that weekend, and there's never any time to really do anything else. Yeah, it's like set up for the party, everybody gets drunk, passes out, we wake up the next morning, everyone cleans up, and then stumbles back to their vehicles. Yeah. And drives home. <laughs> so, you don't really get to see any Columbus stuff. But I want to. I mean, their Columbus stuff is starting to trickle down here to us in Cincinnati, as I know we're starting to force a lot of our stuff up that way. Like, there is a trade mm-hmm. that's going on, and it's... Only a few stores the north of Cincinnati who are getting this stuff from Columbus, and it sells out, like, immediately. Yeah. Kind of like the Dayton area. Yeah, yeah, there's some Dayton stuff that's getting down here, too, but it, like, when it hits the shelves, it's gone. All right. Um, but awesome to hear from you, Michael. Yes, thank you so much for the feedback. And uh, remember, if anybody can submit feedback to us via social media or um, feedback on the site. People who submit feedback are our favorite people. They are. <laughs> Want to uh, get right into it? Yeah, I wonder. I wonder what we've been drinking. <laughs> Drink with me, friend. A little bit less fizzy today. Yeah, yeah, actually, uh, no carbonation. That's when I was popping the top on this. I was like, you know what? If I get that hiss, I'm going to be worried. Because uh, uh, I believe we were all drinking to the episode this time. Doesn't, what? doesn't usually it wasn't happen. just me? Yay, themes. I usually rebel. <laughs> but I did keep it keep it themed to the show proper and kept it with craft. Um, me and Brittany are drinking the Rogue Hazelnut Spiced Rum. And it comes in a nice big swing top bottle, but they still... Just to give you that uh, craft beer look, it's got a nice bottle cap on it that you got to pop off. But yeah, this is... Uh, 
pretty nice. It's from uh, Rogue Spirits, and we had a we picked this up on our trip out to the West Coast. Mm-hmm. And by the time we got back here, it was now available back here. That's how that works. Hey, look, they finally weren't lying to you. <laughs> yeah, no. No, like, we still we, haven't found the maple bacon vodka, though, to be fair. Oh, okay. Which is now making it look like I should have bought that out there instead of the rum. But whatever. <laughs> whatever. Follow your heart. Because everyone's like, oh, and we were out there. He's like, no, we distribute all across the country. And I was like, not in our market, because I'd looked. And he's like, pretty sure, look again. And like the week we got back, I went and checked again. And sure enough, it had then arrived. And I was like, well, fantastic. Glad I spent my Portland booze money on stuff hey. I can now buy here. Yeah, but you bought it, you know, straight from the source. Yeah. Yeah, we bought it from uh, the distillery there in Portland, where we felt like grade-A asses. Or at least I did. So you were actually already drunk at the time. I was drunk. I didn't care. But we're the only two people who showed up for the uh, distillery tour. Yeah, yeah. They know that. Okay, so uh, it's... 40% alcohol by volume, 80 proof. Yeah. Uh, I can read you the nice little uh, thing on the back. Nine ingredients. Yeah, just so you know. 100% pure cane sugar... Toasted Oregon hazelnuts, uh, Oregon peel, or orange peel, Oregon, uh, vanilla bean, cinnamon, nutmeg, and clove, and champagne yeast, and free-range co- free range coastal water. Why did I say free-range? What? That's... Because they didn't put that water into a pen. <laughs> With I other what water. that means for water. Um... <laughs> But yeah, it's it's an interesting taste because it's one thing to have spiced rum; it's another thing to have spiced rum that hits you in the face with hazelnuts. So yeah, it's <laughs> we were talking about when we first started, like right before we started recording the show, we got our first sips, and it's the nose, the aroma is just overwhelming hazelnutty. I mean, that is it just it's just straight hazelnut, and it smells great. My but, nose is so used to doing the aroma for beer where you gotta have to like get in there and pick out flavors. Which you I'm can't not used do to here. doing like liquor yeah, anymore. And like I st- stick my nose down into a glass and just go, oh God. Yeah, this is like you're just show- it's just sweet hazelnut. That's a, like there's nothing else you're finding in there. That's it. And you go take a couple sips of it. And it's there are those um, nice warm vanillas in there. There's no cinnamons and not a whole lot of spice to it. But you do get some of like some faint vanilla off in the background, and then still it's just I mean they're not lying when they say hazelnut rum. It's hazelnut rum. That's when, what they spice this bad boy with. And that sweetness, that sweetness that you get from rum, just like sugar. It's like sugar coated hazelnuts with alcohol. <laughs> mm, sounds good. Oh, sorry, I'm enjoying mine. <laughs> so good. Um, yeah. So as I said that, I guess I can move on to mine. Uh, I've been drinking the Appleton Estate Signature Blend, mm. and good stuff. I was trying. I was trying to decide on a, on on a rum. Uh, this is again from Appleton, Appleton Estates. It's a Jamaican rum, and it's uh, eighty proof. What do you know? <laughs> uh, we didn't get any overproof rum because we wanted to taste stuff. <laughs> Uh, and we don't want to get hammered in the two hours it takes us to record this. Yeah, we got to work tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, I got to work tomorrow. Um, but yeah, I, I saw this was on sale, and I know about the Appleton brand because of uh, one of our uh, old favorite drinking shows, Three Sheets. Mm. And when he was in Jamaica, he was at the Appleton Estates as they showed off their 
their rum for him. And I was like, oh, I want to try that sometime. So there was a nice affordable bottle of it. And I was like, well, I'll grab some of that. And oh my God, I forgot how, well, okay, no. I've, I don't know if I've ever had rum that's quite this good. It's usually my rum is mixed with other things. I was like, ah, whatever. It's Into one of those good, good sipping rums. This, this has a number of flavors going on in there. You've got you've got some spices. You've got little hints of vanilla, little hints of of uh, uh, maybe a little bit of cinnamon. But that might just be the alcohol bite on my tongue. Also, bear in mind my sense of taste is forty percent reduced right now. Right. But it it's sweet coming da- sweet going down. You get that really hefty alcohol burn, but it's it's it is just a really good rum. Uh, it, the, the burn's enough to make you want to slow down and enjoy it, as opposed to sitting there and trying to do shots of it. Although I will admit, in uh, the other night when uh, I ran out of Nyquil and I needed four hours and Dayquil to get me through the rest of my night, I may have done done a shot of Dayquil and then like, well, let's get some rum. Let's polish that baby up. We can we can turn that Dayquil right into Nyquil. Pretty much, take Nyquil, ten percent alcohol. This, screw you. You're getting drunk. <laughs> What's up that percentage? I'm allowed to have a point something percent alcohol, blood alcohol level at work. It's fine. <laughs> it's only money. How how sober do you have to be to count? <laughs> Turns out a little at least. Yeah. All right, but that about does it for what we're drinking. Uh, do we have any announcements? Yes, we do. Uh, Nerdtacular 2017. Uh, the Ooh. Have a Drink crew officially has tickets and rooms for next year's Nerdtacular event in Salt Lake City, Utah. Uh, <laughs> we will be in the Utah, for those of you in the know, uh, at the Snowbird Ski and Summer Resort. It will be the 10th anniversary of the event and the end of the current format. Yeah. Uh, Details even on how this year's shaping up. Apparently, it's not going to be the normal panel schedule that we're used to. Um, we will be there. We like we have our tickets. We have rooms. We've yet to get plane tickets, but that will be coming shortly. We are going to be there. Uh, the capacity. Uh, we were planning something based on the usual layout of how Nertacular goes, but we're going to have to wait and see if we have to change that for whatever the new format will be. But we will be recording a live episode next year for that. It'll probably be our only big to do next year. I don't. I don't know. Probably with all of us I mean, doing a live uh, thing. Oktoberfest probably still. Oh yeah, yeah. We'll we'll come up with something for that as well. Uh, uh, but we will be doing a panel or event. It will most we'll likely be, be in our room. <laughs> yeah, not doing an official panel. Not a we'll panel. Be... No, that that is why we will or build this it... as Drinktacular. Completely separate from Nerdtacular. Uh, yeah. And it will either be a 21 and up only affair or no drinking at all affair. I mean, you all could let us know. We have ideas that swing either way. We're still working out the details is the point. Um, because we it's don't... a ways off, but tickets have been purchased, so... We we'll kind of have to start our... thinking about what we're, gonna, what we're bringing and how we're going to maneuver things, so... If you plan on being there... Let us know. Uh, let us know what you plan on doing as well. We'll, we'll try to come up with something. Oh, yeah. But... We can all hang out at Smoke Monster. That's always a great a great hangout down at the bar. Say always because yeah. we've been there so many times. <laughs> I was just saying. 
Well, I was going to say, and if you were thinking, oh, hey, maybe I should go, tickets are probably already good, or they're they're already gone now, and they may yeah. be trying to free they're, some up. Yeah, they're not as of as of Monday the twenty eighth. They are technically sold out, but Scott had mentioned on the latest TMS episode that um, they are trying to work on freeing some up for people to get. I don't know how. So if you're wanting to go, be checking the website constantly every hour. I mean, just. F5, 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 just waiting. Yeah. Uh, but even if you can't make it, we'll we'll try to record something so it'll feel like you're there. You'll exactly. be there in spirit or spirits. Yeah. Uh-huh. spirits. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yes, yes. All right. All right. Um, anybody have any other thoughts, comments, etc.? Several, but it's late and I have to get in the shower. Fair enough. <laughs> well, I thought this was a good episode. I was very fascinated to learn all the things about rum. So I will, yeah, I'm surprised how sober I am. I'm fascinated, medicated, and intoxicated. I said normally uh, our alcohol episodes hit me a little harder than this, but right. But all of us have to work tomorrow. We're like, well, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Sorry about the lateness of this episode. We were all sick and kept pushing it, and then it's just like, no, we have to do it, or it's not getting done because we're running out of time on free weekends. Yeah, yeah. Oh, holiday season. So. Be sure to subscribe, and um, also check out our great resources on our newly redesigned resources page on haveadrinkshow.com. You can also follow us at haveadrinkshow on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and we ask that you please rate a show on iTunes, and it helps us spread the word. It helps get more things out there and get uh, more more ears. (laughs) More ears. They need people out there. Going full Vincent Van Gogh and mailing <laughs> ears to us. Yes. All the ears. If you want to tell us about your favorite drink, ask a question, leave some general feedback, or email a picture of your own severed ear, uh, <laughs> use the email address feedback at have a drink show, or you can use the feedback page on the website. And I'm going to go ahead and plug this in. Uh, if you want to tell us about your favorite beer or brewery, go ahead and send that in to us as well. Uh, we'd love to hear about it, especially if we ever get a chance to come to your area and try it. But all joking and fun aside, we'd like to remind everyone to please drink responsibly. Don't drink and drive. Uber. Remember that Uber is built into Untapped, and yes. it is there to help. You can call a ride while you're checking into a drink. Yes. It's not that hard. All right. So check us out in another couple of weeks for the next episode. Once again, I'm Brittany Lee Walker. I'm Justin Frazier. And I'm Christopher Walker. And we'll see you all next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.